Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. As for individuals, I believe it's also true for a nation. There came a point when Jerusalem and Judah had gone so far. It already happened to their northern ten neighbors, remember? Because in 722 B.C., they were taken, the northern ten tribes, into Assyria captive. Now it was Judah and Benjamin's turn. They didn't turn from their sin that they saw. They encouraged it. They, They continued doing it. And God says... Their their, their time is coming, and they did not repent. They did not repent. And there came a time when God says, it's too late for them. Don't even pray anymore. And boy, that's a shocker, isn't it? Welcome, everyone, to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. Scripture says, I do not say that he should pray about that. Apparently, when a Christian is being corrected in regard to sin leading to death, there is no point in praying for his recovery or restoration. The situation is in God's hands alone. There are many examples in the Bible that tell us how God's will overrides our vision of what his plan or purpose should be. God's foreknowledge is directly connected to his determinant counsel. Now let's open our Bible to 1 John chapter 5 and follow along with Pastor Rob. No, it starts off with a look, and then a look, another look, and then it doesn't stop, and it keeps building, and it's constantly feeding. You're feeding it, you're feeding it, and the end of it, trust me, is death. The end of it is going to destroy you. You know this. You know this. Sin is like a cancer, and if left alone, it will grow and metastasize and ultimately debilitate its host. Isn't that what cancer is? It starts in your body. There's a tumor. (laughs) And if, if it's cancerous, if it's left unchecked, it's going to metastasize. It's going to spread to other organs of your body. If you don't get that right when it begins, trust me, you're going to have a problem. Because it starts to spread. You've got to get it. You've got you to get it at its infancy, and you can't play games with it. Because if you don't, you wake up one day, and you go to the doctor, and you find that you've got stage 4 cancer in your liver and your kidneys, and in your lungs, and it's spreading to your brain. Sin is like that. But why is it that we're more in tune with the physical because it affects us physically, but we can be completely oblivious to the spiritual part of it? Folks, we need to really be careful about this. Sin that doesn't lead to death or swift judgment by death may include these. These are the things that I was thinking about when when, when John is listing these sins that aren't unto death, a, a sin not unto death. I think of bitterness. It's still a sin. It's, it could be bitterness. It could be anger. You could have an issue of anger. Where, where is that going? Is it being left unchecked, or are you continuing to be angry and, and not considering it? 
What about envy? Envy is a sin, I believe, that's not unto death. At least initially, you can be envious and, 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 and be that way. And it can go on for years. You can have a heart of unforgiveness for years. And yet you suffer. You suffer. You can have hard-heartedness for years. And it eventually gets harder and harder and harder. You can be a gossip or a busybody. Those things are sin as well. James chapter 5, verse 19 says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he has turned. He who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. See, that's what we are to be as the body of Christ. To love each other enough to tell each other the truth in love. And therein lies the problem. Because sometimes my heart can be so ugly. I can be envious of somebody. And then because I'm envious of them, it doesn't come out in love. Instead, I just send them a a text message in all caps. You're a rotten sinner. Send. Wow, that's going to yield a lot of good fruit. So we've got to be careful. But there is a sin that's leading to death. A sin leading to death. In verse 16 here in our text this morning, he says... Let me read it again. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, we looked at some of those things. Those are sins that don't have a, 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 there's not a severity about them. It could be a bitterness. It could be envy. It could be jealousy. It could be hard-heartedness. Left unchecked over years, it just, it's slowly like a cancer. It just eats the person from within, right? But there are other things where John here is saying there are sins that lead to death. There is a sin leading to death. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 19, it says, As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. So if we pursue evil, we are pursuing death. Why do we do such ridiculous things? Why do we pursue sin? Why do we pursue evil? The end of it will be death, just as we read in Romans 6.23. The wages, that's what I get. The wages of sin is death. That's what I receive as payment for my sin. I receive a wage, and that wage is death. But the gift of God, the gift that he gives freely, it cost him everything, didn't cost you anything. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? But the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. You remember uh, Moses, uh, back in the, in the book of Exodus, is, and it says this in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Moses choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy pleasures of sin for a season. It is. Sin is great for a few moments until the bill comes due. Do you realize how short the pleasure is compared to the heartache and the pain and the devastation afterwards? You need to think about the bill before you do the deed. Because oftentimes we just do the deed before we think about the, the, the repercussions, the, the consequences for that sin. I think about stuff like that. I would encourage you to as well. And understand that it's never worth it. It's never worth it. The devil wants you to make you, make you think. And all the television programs, all the advertisements, and, you know, when you watch football and they have the, you know, the, the beer and the ladies and the guys, and they're all, they all look handsome and they're all hanging out at the party and they all look, you know... Everything looks great. 
what they're selling you, what they're telling you is so sin is pleasurable for a season. Look at them having fun. Look at those young people in the prime of their life standing around with the bubbly around the tree with all dressed real nice with their nice clothing. Hmm. Be careful. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, be not, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And this is so important. This is why there is a sin that leads to death. There comes a point when God says, I've had enough. In fact, in Numbers chapter 32, it says that your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. And this is not a really happy message this morning, necessarily. It's a sobering message. In Genesis chapter 4, God gave some great advice to Cain. Remember what he said to him in chapter 7? He says, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And notice, its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Rule over the sin, folks. Why should you be bludgeoned to death by the sins that you, each of us, many in this room, have habitual sin? Why are you letting it beat you up over and over again? You have the ability to rule over it. Why does it? Why is it that it takes so much of your thought life? Why can't it be in balance like everything else? Why does this one particular sin, it infects you like leaven, like yeast, and pretty soon everything that you see, Everything that you do is through that lens of that sick, twisted, perverse thing. You can't even look at a person without looking at them in a lustful way. Why is that? Why should it have more attention to you men? Why should it have more of your real estate in your life and in your heart? Why? Ask the question, why should this thing be so imbalanced in my life? Why can't it be like everything else? You know, the, 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 the drive is there. The, it's very natural within the bonds of marriage. Why does it have to get weird? Put it in its order. Put it in its place. Do not let it have its rule over you. Because sin that leads to death is something that God allows in swift judgment upon those who are them, committing them, allowing their life to be taken quickly. There are sins like that, and then there are others that slowly bring a person into bondage. And we looked at those, those sins that are sin that doesn't lead to death, are those slow things, those things that aren't as severe as severe as the, the other sins. But see, God reserves the right at his discretion to judge swiftly certain heinous sins due to their severity and their influence, not only upon you, but also on the influence of others around you, and especially in the body of Christ. And there appears to be degrees of sin. Although even the smallest sins left unrepentant can lead you right to hell. And it's true. But we see the severity of God's judgment during the beginning of Israel's becoming of a nation. And also in the very beginning of the church, we see him doing, being very severe and very directive and very swift in judgment. We know that these things happen. We see this in the Old Testament. We're going to look at a couple of examples you know this passage very well in Second Samuel 11 and 12 where David sinned with Bathsheba and ultimately him killing Uriah, her husband. A sin unto death this is. It's written for us in the Old Testament. Remember, Nathan finally comes to David after at least a year 
after the act has been committed, after the adultery and after the murder, about a year afterwards, Nathan comes, a prophet, to David and says, David, and he tells him the story about the man who has a, a, a guest coming to his house, but, and he's, he's got his own lambs that he could prepare a dinner for these guests, but instead he looks over and sees the one ewe lamb over at his neighbor's. He's only got one. It's a beautiful lamb. And he takes it instead. And David, being a shepherd, is infuriated. Knowing his background, he says, that man who did that should surely die. And remember what Nathan said to him, David, you're the man. You took Uriah's wife. That was his only wife. You took her. You laid with her. And then you killed him to cover it up. And you remember, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan says this to David. He says, Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. And you've killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house, David, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, verse 11, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you and from your own house, and and, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. And so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This was his moment. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Because he deserved death, didn't he? According to the law, he deserved death. Twice. For killing a man and for sleeping with his wife. Notice what it says in verse 14. However, because this deed, because of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, and the child also who is born of you shall surely die. A sin unto death. God brought swift judgment. Instead of David dying, he struck down his first son from Bathsheba. Was that not a sin unto death? God was very severe. He could have been more severe, but he was very gracious with David. Very gracious. And of course you know, even nationally, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 7, remember when Jerusalem and Judah was being besieged by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians? There was a time when Jeremiah was praying and interceding for the nation, and God interrupted him in Jeremiah chapter 7. It says, you know what, Jeremiah, don't even pray. Don't pray for them. Judgment's coming. As for individuals, I believe it's also true for a nation. There came a point when Jerusalem and Judah had gone so far. It already happened to their northern ten neighbors, remember? Because in 722 B.C., they were taken, the northern ten tribes, into Assyria captive. Now it was Judah and Benjamin's turn. They didn't turn from their sin that they saw. They encouraged it. They, they continued doing it. And God says, time, their, their, their time is coming. And they did not repent. They did not repent. And there came a time when God says, it's too late for them. Don't even pray anymore. And boy, that's a shocker, isn't it? Because we don't like to ever think that God would say, it's not, don't even pray. <laughs> but there was a sin unto death for Jerusalem. And that was it. God says, don't even pray for them. Judgment's coming, but you can spare their life, Jeremiah. Tell them to submit to Babylon. Tell them to submit to Nebuchadnezzar. Go into captivity. Be obedient and and go into captivity. Don't resist them. You resist them, you're going to die. Nationally, 
They went through struggles, sin unto death. And certainly in the New Testament, one of the greatest examples we know is with Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, at the very beginning of the church, God had that right to set things in in, in motion and and start with with purity and holiness. And what what happened in the life of Ananias and Sapphira, if if that were to happen in the church today, this, this might not happen where God dealt, would deal with someone like that, like he dealt with them. But in the very beginning, he, he wanted to uh, put forth this, this gravity, this, this sense of, uh, of newness, this, this purpose for the church, to make it holy, to make it right. And Ananias and Sapphira, they, they heard about Barnabas selling some land, and he gave all the proceeds to the poor in Jerusalem. So they had the bright idea. Well, let's do the same thing, because, man, he's getting a lot of attention. So they sold some land, and instead of giving all of it, they gave back a part of it. But that wasn't the problem. Your money is yours to keep. God doesn't, you don't have to give him anything. He's, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He spoke everything into existence. Does he need it? The very materials that gold bars are laid up in Fort Knox, he's like, that means nothing to me. He doesn't need your money. He, doesn't, he didn't need their money. We need money to pay the bills. We need money to send out missions. Certainly we need those things. But ultimately God doesn't care about so much about your money. He cares about you. And so when he starts the church in its infancy, he has to judge this. And this was a sin unto death for Ananias and Sapphira because they claimed that they were giving everything. Oh, so benevolent. Oh, my goodness. Giving everything. We've, yeah, we've given everything. Yeah, everything. Everything, really. Seriously, really. We've given everything, I think. Yeah, we've given most of it. No, we've given everything. It was the hypocrisy that God, he judged immediately. It was a sin unto death for them. And they both were carried out. Because of their hypocrisy, God has the right to do that. Sometimes God will allow a believer who has not crucified an area of their flesh for their life to be taken before they further fall away or stumble the rest of the church, and especially those who are younger in the faith. It's true. Some examples, and I've seen this in, in my own life. If you, if you have taken drugs in the past, like heroin, and you've come out from under the bondage of it, and then a few years later you decide to try it again because you think you can handle it, and you presume upon the grace of God that he has given you to kick it the first time, and your life is taken. You presume upon what he has given you before, and now you start to flirt with it again, and you end up losing your life. You see, on the street... Heroin is laced with, a lot of times, fentanyl, with other amphetamines. And none of this stuff is, is regulated because it's illegal. It's illegal, and I'm not saying that we should legalize it either. But it's, uh, it's laced, and sometimes these people get these hot shots, and they die instantly. There's, there's people all around me in Penfield. One man who walks his dog in front of my house every day. One time I talked to him. His son, 21 years old, was struggling with heroin. And finally, he died at 21 years of old. He got a hot shot. Somebody laced the, the heroin to make it, you know, uh, to give more substance, m- more of the heroin. They, they mix it with other things. And none of this stuff is, you know, I don't know what will happen. What will happen to you if you take it? These things happen all the time in America. They happen every single day. What about the believer who flirts around with pornography and elicits sex? It starts off as with the magazines and then the movies. And then pretty soon that's not good enough. 
You've got to act those things out. There is a progression. And boy, the room got really quiet. <laughs> serious. It's serious, guys. And ladies, you have your own issues. The man who flirts with these things and has an extramarital affair, and then one day he contracts the AIDS virus, and he infects his wife. There was a time, I'm not sure the status of AIDS anymore about the cure. They can slow it down significantly, but it's a sin unto death. So we need to be careful. In verse 17, he says, All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. And those are the things that aren't perhaps as, as, as grave, as serious as others. I don't know, I think of sexual promiscuity and I think of drug abuse as being, or maybe you're a kleptomaniac, maybe you like to steal things, and maybe you like to rob banks. Well, that could be a sin leading to death because you break into a bank and there is a police officer there that you didn't know in plain clothes and he shoots you. You're dead. Your sin has left you. A sin unto death. Let's finish out the letter now, and the, the, the topic changes. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> he says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. The idea behind this is uh, whoever is born of God does not sin. It doesn't mean that he doesn't sin, but he's, it, it, it means he's not going to continue in a progression. He's not going to continue in a habitual action. You may, be, you may have issues of habitual sin, but eventually, Lord, hopefully the Lord will get a hold of your heart. But it's somebody who continues and continues, and they're being convicted and convicted, and they continue to go forward in this thing. They continue. We know that whoever is born of God is not going to continue for very long because their heart is either going to break under the conviction and the weight of the sin, or God may just take you home. Because you may be a believer, but if you don't kick that thing, he has the right to say, you know what, I've got to take you home, because I know it's not going to get any better for you. So in my grace, I'm going to take you home. Early. I've seen it happen. Have you seen it happen? I've heard of it happening. I've seen it happening. And he who guards, he who has been born of God keeps himself. The idea is guards or takes care of, preserves himself, keeping an eye on it. It implies like a fortress. Guys, ladies, are you doing that? Are you keeping a guard? Are you keeping yourself from the wicked one? You know the things that are tough for you. You know the things that you have a propensity to do. We're all aware of our own issues. Guard yourself. Guard yourself. How do you do that? You get into the word. You fill your head with other things. And we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. The wicked one there is a word, poneros. Poneros. It's the same word that we hear in Matthew 6 when Jesus, in his model prayer, he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Same word. Deliver us from this Lord. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. There it is again, the Paneros. The whole world lies in sway of the wicked one. See, we live in a fallen world and you all know that. But that doesn't mean that we just let it affect us. No, we are meant to be a light in this world, right? Isn't that, isn't that what Jesus said? You are now the light of the world. Let your light so shine that people will see your good works and they will glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
That's what we are to be. And you know, we just put up our Christmas tree yesterday. And it's a, it's a prickly... It, it, last year's Christmas tree was this prickly thing. I'm, 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 this thing had like needles. And I reached my hand in to do anything, and it just stuck me. I was bleeding. This thing was so bad. It came from like the, the ground of Satan. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as we continue our study in John's epistles. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.